following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So one of my favorite stories in the New Testament um, is from Luke 20, uh, 24, and it's something that happens after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has started to appear to his disciples. Now, he, he appears to his close disciples, the apostles, you know, the 12, now 11, um, but not just them. He starts to appear to some of the other disciples, which is just to say the people who were following him during his ministry. He appears to a, a lot of different groups. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul, in one of his letters, um, mentions... Uh, you know, kind of in the course of arguing for the truth of the resurrection, which, by the way, that's a question that we often face nowadays too, right? Did that really happen? Can we really believe that happened? Well, one of the things that he says is evidence of that is that he appeared to, like, hundreds of people all at once. And that letter was written soon enough after the fact that he was able to say, a lot of them are still alive. Go ask them. So this letter went into circulation and um, presumably would have been easy to to disprove, um, and yet Christianity exploded uh, against all other odds. So make of that what you will. Um, the point is that Jesus appeared to his disciples following the resurrection. And on one occasion, he appears to two disciples who are walking on the road to their home in Emmaus. And um, they don't recognize him, which is really interesting. I'm not sure what's going on there. Did his bodily appearance change in the resurrection? Or was there a spiritual blockage that was happening here, preventing them from recognizing him? Whatever it was, they didn't know that it was Jesus who they were having this conversation with as they walked along the road. And having heard rumors of his resurrection, but not really believing it, let's be honest, that would be all of us in their shoes, they're walking along and they're kind of just despondent because their rabbi, their teacher, the beloved master, has, has died. And Jesus, I, maybe I'm reading in a little bit more sense of humor into Jesus on this occasion than maybe is actually there or supported by the text, but I like to think of him as kind of like playing along with them and having a little fun. Why the long face? <laughs> that kind of thing. And uh, they, taste, they say to him, are you the only person <laughs> in town who doesn't know what happened? And then he says to them, well, no, let me explain to you what happened. And as they walk along the road to Emmaus, he shows them from the scriptures, it says, that all of these things had to be true of the Messiah. He's speaking about himself, but they still don't know that he's the one that they're mourning. And so they, they arrive at their home, and Jesus makes as as if to go on. Have you ever done that thing where you're like, you're kind of hoping you'll get invited over for dinner? You're like, well, I guess I better go. <laughs> and they're like, uh, no, no, it's, it's late. You should stay. No, this was a very hospitable culture. It would have been entirely normal for them to say to a stranger, please stay overnight. It's dark. It's not safe to travel the road by yourself at night. And so he agrees to stay. And they sit down to dinner. And here's where things get beautiful. Luke 34 or 24, 30, and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. I love this story, and I love this moment. I could easily make 
an entire sermon out of a rabbit trail on this thing, but I will try to do just a little rabbit trail on it, which is to say, isn't it interesting how sometimes you have a realization about Jesus and who he is and where he is and what was confusion for hours or days or months or years before suddenly becomes entirely illuminated And then just as quickly as that happens, he disappears. And you're left wondering, which I'm sure they must have been wondering, did we dream that? Did that really happen? Was that Jesus? I think it's a metaphor for the life of faith. We wander along the road not even knowing that Jesus is right there with us all along. And then suddenly he's revealed to us, for example, in the breaking of the bread. And our hearts open up. And then just as fast as it happened, we return to the state of semi-confusion, which is more normal for us (laughs) than enlightenment. But there, he was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. It was when he broke the bread that they they realized who he was. Today we're talking about Eucharist, which is one of the words that Christians use to speak of Holy Communion, the sacrament that we celebrate after the sermon every week at Artisan. The word Eucharist uh, means thanksgiving. And of course, the reason it comes up today is because we're in the third week of this church-wide reading of this book by Rowan Williams, which is called Being Christian. It's been um, a really great book. I have loved this book. I, if you love this book half as much as I do, then, then you're, you're good. Um, as I said last week, it's sort of tempting just to read it to you because it's, he just has such a great way of illuminating, articulating uh, the beauty of the gospel um, as, it, as it ought to be represented by the body of Christ, which is to say the church. Remember, he says in the beginning, the very first page of the introduction, that the book is not so much about Christians behave thus and so, although obviously behavior is an important part of being a Christian, Rather, he's talking about these are the things that you will see Christians doing together. So if you see people doing this kind of stuff, you're in a church, basically, right? And the four things are baptism, Bible, Eucharist, and prayer. We've done baptism and Bible the previous two weeks. You can go listen to the podcast. Um, Today is Eucharist, and next week will be prayer. But Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's a word for Holy Communion. One of the things that we do together when we come to worship, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You might think of it as having like a little Thanksgiving meal together with your spiritual family every week. Who likes Thanksgiving dinner, right? Nobody doesn't like Thanksgiving dinner. It's the best. What if we thought about communion as a little Thanksgiving every week? I love how he says it. He sets up this this very interesting tension. What Christians do when they meet for Holy Communion, they meet to give thanks, that's the Eucharist, even in the heart of darkest experience. You hear in that sentence, in that quotation, a little bit of that tension that's present in communion. The tension is present in communion all the time because it's present in our whole faith all the time because it's present in our whole world all the time. After all, what we memorialize when we celebrate communion together 
is the darkest moment in human history. The crucifixion, the actual murder of God in the flesh. That's what we get together to celebrate when we take communion. And we call it Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. We're giving thanks for this horrific moment. Think about that for a minute. Give thanks even in the, in the, the depths of the worst experience. Talk about a metaphor for the, holes, the whole faith. Communion reminds us that we are to be thankful to God, not just for His goodness, but also for His mercy. Because when we come to the table and receive Christ's body and blood into our own body and blood, we're putting Jesus into our bloodstream. We're reminded that when God came nearest to us, our response was to cast Him out, to place on His shoulders the weight of the sin of the entire human race. Uh, Rowan Williams points out that there have been times in church history when communion was viewed as kind of a, like a reward for good behavior. Like, this week, you can take communion because you were good. <laughs> Last week, we had some problems, and that's why you couldn't take it. Let's make the next week more like this week than last week, okay, gang? That was the kind of uh, methodology around communion. But Rowan Williams says, no, it's not supposed to be like that. Holy communion is no kind of reward. He says, it is, like everything about Jesus Christ, a free gift. We take Holy Communion not because we are doing well, but because we are doing badly. And we give thanks as we do it. Because we see ourselves and our own sin on the cross, and because we know that God's response to that sin is not retribution, but rather love and forgiveness... When you think of it that way, the table where we memorialize that event becomes a place of deep, deep gratitude. You might even say eternal gratitude. And so Eucharist is thanksgiving. I don't know if we think about communion as thanksgiving. We might think of it as, we might, we might, um, we might, might experience some relief at the table. We might experience some disruption. We might experience some... some uh, discord, some dissonance, but thankfulness, that one that one's a little, doesn't come quite as naturally. Maybe when you come to take communion, you can whisper the words, thank you, and think of this as Eucharist. But it's not just thanksgiving. The table is also a place of God's welcome. It's thanksgiving, and it's welcome. Again, think about communion for a minute as a meal. The way we take communion, whether it's the way we take it, which is dipping the bread in the cup and taking it all at once. Sometimes you have the little little wafers, the little um, half-dollar Jesus, and the the, the little plastic cups. (laughs) Um, That's how we did it in my church growing up. Um, You know, if you grew up Catholic, you got the, the wine that you have to share with everybody. You know... Regardless of how we do it, I don't know of anybody who really consistently does it where it seems like you're sharing a meal with somebody. But sharing a meal is sort of the universal sign of welcome, isn't it? Uh, it's the universal sign even of welcome back. Right? So um, my wife, Tracy, um, 
has a twin sister, Laura. Many of you met both of them, but you probably haven't met their older sister, Shawnee, who um, several years ago, after having lived her whole adult life in Buffalo, moved to California, <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing. Um, <clears throat> And uh, against all odds, after these years of living in California, um, just yesterday, she and her husband got on a plane and flew back, and they are moving back to Buffalo. And I am telling you what, my friends, when we get to Buffalo for that welcome back dinner, I might not be able to get back home to Rochester. (laughs) They might have to roll me down the thruway, because that's what happens at my mother-in-law's house when somebody gets welcomed back. You, know, you might think of a soldier coming back home after a period of deployment and eating army food all that time. The meal that that soldier's family might cook in celebration of their return. You might think of some of the refugees who have come to America from Syria, Somalia, wherever it might be. There's a lot of them right here in Rochester right now. Can you imagine how welcoming it is for them if they get the chance to sit down for a meal with somebody in their new home, how that can take the disorienting experience that they've had and and kind of level it out a little bit, make them feel normal and wanted again. There's some welcome home meals in the Bible, maybe most famously in in the parable of the prodigal son, the story that Jesus tells to describe God's response to us when we have sinned and returned to him. Do you remember this story? There's two brothers, and the younger one uh, asks his father for the inheritance early and takes the money and goes and squanders it on, like, probably a scene from Deadwood or something like that. And um, <laughs> and he, he runs out of money, and he's living with the pigs. Um, and he comes back ashamed, Right? all prepared to become a servant in his father's household for the rest of his days. And his father says, no, get a robe, get a ring, get some sandals, kill the animals. We are having a feast because my son who was lost has returned to me. What a beautiful picture of God's grace for us. The, the, um, the meal is the universal sign of welcome and of welcome back. You know, even in that Emmaus story, right? They're walking on the road. They get to their house. They have a meal. It's almost like Jesus, the first thing Jesus says to them is, give me something to eat. (laughs) I feel like I've been dead for three days. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm definitely getting an email about that one. (laughs) (laughs) so Rowan Williams says (laughs) he says for Christians to share in the Eucharist the Holy Communion means to live as people who know that they are always guests that they have been welcomed and that they are wanted when Jesus lays out a meal for you that shows you that you are his guest that you are welcomed and that you're wanted. That's what Jesus did. You know, our author gives us this really intriguing example, the story of Zacchaeus, 
Where are my Sunday school people at? You know the song, the Zacchaeus song, right? Um, if somebody's singing it, I don't know who that is. <laughs> if you don't know this song, you owe it to yourself to go to YouTube and search for Zacchaeus song. <laughs> um, don't do it right now. I'm talking. Come on. <laughs> Everybody's grabbing their phones. Um, no, the story of Zacchaeus, he was uh, not only a tax collector and kind of a social outcast because he was the worst kind of sinner in this culture, but um, he was also short. And so, I don't have much sympathy, but he, he was... He was not able to see Jesus when the crowds that were following him came through. And so he had to climb a tree to see Jesus. Hopefully he thought maybe at a distance he would get a a chance, a glimpse of, of this great teacher, this great master. And Jesus comes up close to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on. Aren't you going to invite me over for dinner? Not come to my house for dinner. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. No, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Have you ever had somebody invite themselves over for supper? <laughs> it requires the grace of Jesus sometimes <laughs> to accept that. But the, it's such a brilliant observation Rowan Williams makes. Jesus is not only someone who exercises hospitality, he draws out hospitality from others. By his welcome, he makes other people capable of welcoming. And that's what we get caught up with when we come to the table of the Lord, whether we want to or not. Who are the real people of God now? The ones who accept Jesus' invitation. And uh, that doesn't come with strings attached per se, but it is going to change who you are. It is going to make you into the person who's going to start inviting people as well. It means that we're giving thanks at communion not just for His welcome of us, but that we, when we take communion, one of the things that we're doing is announcing our intention to welcome others to that same table of the Lord. And we don't get to bar anybody from Jesus' table. We don't get to begrudge anyone their invitation that they got from Him. Our job, if we're willing to take it on, is to speak the words of invitation to those around us. We have no say in who gets to be there. You start barring people from the table, you better watch out because you might find your seat has been taken. You know, Jesus was not really uh, found to be walking around um, excluding all kinds of people. That's sort of the opposite of the picture that we have of Jesus. But the, the times when he did speak very harshly to people in a way that would have seemed to place them outside the circle, it was always toward people who were trying to guard the boundaries, who were trying to say, no, you are out. We are in. That's when Jesus starts to get angry. We don't bar the table from anybody because that seems to be the only way you lose your own seat. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again, how beautiful it is to me that the, the sacraments of the church, Holy Communion, and Baptism, they, they, we practice them with these just ordinary stuff, Right? I was joking that time about I don't know what goes into bread. It's like wheat or butter or something. I don't know, right? 
bread is pretty simple stuff. It's just the just stuff that grew out of the ground. We just turn it into bread. We can eat it. It's a beautiful thing. Wine is not all that complicated, despite what the snobby people would have you believe. It's just fruit that grew on a, on a vine, and they stepped on it. Right? I, I saw that episode of that show, I Love Lucy. Um, no, the baptism is water. It could, not, it could not be more common a thing. God uses these simple elemental things to convey his deep, rich, eternal, unbridled love and grace for us. It's such a beautiful thing. And so, to take seriously what is going on in the Holy Eucharist, Rowan Williams says, is to take seriously the whole material order of the world. All places, all people, all things have about them an unexpected sacramental depth. It's just bread. It's just juice. It's just water. But it has an unexpected sacramental depth. And you know what that means? When you get to work tomorrow and Judy from HR starts in on you again, you can just look and say, Judy has an unexpected sacramental depth. (laughs) Your, Your boss, Chris, starts coming after you for the TPS reports or whatever it is in your work, whatever widget you need to produce. You can say, you know what? That guy is a... But he has an unexpected sacramental depth. Every person walking around has that unexpected sacramental depth. That, uh, that capex day, to use the, the Latin Augustine, that, that capability of experiencing God, that's what it means to be human. And if everything and everyone around us has an unexpected sacramental depth, do you know what that means? It means that it's our call, it's our duty, it's our job to recognize it, to honor it, and to embrace everybody who has it, which is to say, everybody. And so when you come to the table this morning, if you, if you will, this afternoon, <laughs> say the words, thank you. Celebrate the great Thanksgiving feast at God's table. Remember that it's a sign of God's welcome to you, of the fact that you are wanted and you are welcomed and that it's your job to welcome others to that same Thanksgiving feast. One last quotation from our friend Rowan Williams. When we gather as God's guests at God's table, the church becomes what it is meant to be a community of strangers who have become guests together and are listening together to the invitation of God. And so if you hear the invitation of God this morning, this table is open for you. It is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. You are welcome to come, take the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, remembering His body which was broken for you remembering His blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins and remembering that you are wanted and you are welcomed and that the people next to you and behind you and in front of you are wanted and they are welcomed too and that the people outside these walls who aren't here yet are wanted and they're welcomed too. 
That's why we call it communion, because it's something that we do together. It's a unifying sacrament. If you are not sure where you stand on faith, if you're not following Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a believer, um, we're glad you're here too, and, and it's okay for you to sit and observe, and to think on these things, to ponder them, even to, to try a prayer if you'd like. Um, nobody will look at you funny if you don't do this. Uh, we'll also have a member of the prayer team who will be at the back corner of the room there, your right in the back, uh, who will pray with you in person if you'd like to receive personal prayer. Children are welcome to take communion with you. If you'd like to go get them and bring them to communion, you can. If you want to get them after you take communion, that's also fine. But I pray that you hear God's invitation and that you step out in faith to receive his welcome. Thanks be to God. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.